Welcome to the Real Triathlon Podcast. I'm your host, Garrick Lowen, here with Nicholas Chase and Jackson Laundry. Welcome back to the Real Triathlon Podcast. Uh, as you're hearing, it is Garrick Lowen who is finally back. The boys have let me out of exile. And oh, we just wanted you to come back this whole time. We were just yeah. booking it on days you couldn't do it, and then you know it was uh, it was Nick's idea. He was like, "I need to hijack the hosting." So <laughs> what? Yeah, no, 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 no. It's been me. I've been super busy trying to finish up my freaking degree and all my schooling here um, for the rest of my life, so, so that he can be a professional professional triathlete again. Yeah, so I can Doctor start triathlete. Yeah. Missing leg doctor triathlete is the goal. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, okay. Great let's segue. This, guys. Yes, let's segue into, well, what the hell is going on in triathlon world right now? Because I miss so much. I mean, Miami happened. We had that great recap with Lisa. But something big is happening this weekend. And that is 70.3 Oceanside. This is always, always the most competitive race of the year. Or North this America. time of year, whatever it is, yeah, this is the most competitive race in North America, but there are some big boys showing up to this race. Um, and I don't mean physically, but I mean like fast guys. Yeah, they're PHAT. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I lost my start list here, so. Well, I'm going to just ramble off a few names. Uh, Jackson Laundry's there, who's also on, on the line with us. Hello there. I am here. Um, we've got... We've got Lionel Sanders, Ben Canute, Rudy Von Berg, myself, Sam Appleton, Matt Hansen, Andreas Streitz, Jason West, Bart Arnault, Chris Leiferman, Andy Potts. Alistair Brownlee. Uh, yes, Alistair Brownlee. I mean, a, a lot of really solid names. There's literally 60 guys, so you don't necessarily need to read through the whole list. But Well, that's like 60 guys with like the highest probably percentage of ever – any start list I've ever seen that is in like the top 50. Yeah, Steve McKenna as well, Ben Hoffman, Brent McMahon. I mean, yeah, Eric Lagerstrom. This goes on and on. So it's fantastic when you have a race like that, in my opinion, because mm -hmm. you just know that it's going to be absolutely on from the gun and it's going to be played out like a championship race. And you just – you don't think about any single person or what they're going to do. You just need to swim very well especially this good swim start and then race the start of that bike. Like there's no tomorrow for the first about 15, 20 K. And then you kind of see where you're at and try to get into the group because it's going to be, I think there's going to be a couple of big packs that might even come together on the bike. So we'll see well, what happens, but I'm stoked. All we know for sure is Mr. Samuelus Longus Maximus is going to be getting his nose to the front of that bike course guaranteed. Well, yeah, if he does it right. Actually, I don't even think he's on here. I think he didn't he announce he is no longer doing it. Well, frig, there goes everything I just said. That was cool. <laughs> yeah, I think but he decided not to. What about, he was always what, on the fence. Yeah. What about Lionel? You think Lionel's gonna get to the front of the race? You think those boys are gonna let him get in the race? Maybe his swimming is all of I a sudden. We're gonna see to a new front. Lionel. This is new Lionel coming out, I think. Maybe we'll see because but he was already like, not. He's not going to swim with Brownlee and Appleton and Canute and Von Berg, except, and you know that. But 
it just depends how it plays out. Cause sometimes the second group on the swim isn't that far back and it might have, you know, Leiferman and Arno and oh, Andres and you and that Hanson and myself ridge up to the first group. So it'll be an issue. He's not in either of those first two groups. Uh, those first two main groups, then I think he'll be struggling because I just don't see much of it. I mean, there's Michael Weiss, but I don't see a huge depth of uh, cycling ability that's going to come out back of the field. Um, so we'll see. Okay, there. I think he's. I think he's still going to be up there. Thinking about Texas last year, he made it to the front. Yeah, I mean, he did. It, they didn't have Alistair Brownlee though. That's true. Alistair Brownlee just changes everything because he's going to be right at the front with Ben Canute and he's just going to punish the pace on the bike. If he's in any kind of a form that he has had in the past. I think that's the big story is Brownlee. This is almost like a comeback for Brownlee. I mean, when was the last time we saw him? Was it Daytona it was two years yeah. ago when he got injured there? I think the last time I saw yeah. him. And it, from the sounds of it, he hasn't been posting everywhere, but from what I've heard through the grapevine, he's pretty fit. Well, I think he's getting ready for pretty that fit. sub whatever seven project too oh yeah that's true so i'm sure he's incredibly fit yeah his last race was 2020 pto championship in daytona uh and he didn't finish so you know that if he goes to the start line he's gonna be fit like he's not showing up to this race out of shape um so we'll see but it's gonna be interesting all i know is it's gonna be on on the swim bike and you have to you must be in the race on the swim bike or there's no running your way into this field. Like no way it's, there's too many incredible runners. So and Jason West, true. he's a guy who could come out with the lead group and hang in there on the bike and want to run a one Oh eight. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm more excited for this race than I think I've been for any in the last few years. And honestly, just the lineup, the women's field, same thing. Um, I think, I don't have that list. Maybe someone else does and can start. Yeah, names. Uh, it's probably equally as incre incredible. Danielle Reef, Taylor Nibbs, Sky Motch, Paula Finley, Holly Lawrence, Heather Jackson, Jackie Herring, Tamara Jewett, Jocelyn McCauley, Ruth Astle, Louisa Baptista, Danielle Lewis, Pamela Oliveira, Haley Chura, Chelsea Sterrow. Like all these women are top 30 women pretty well. Marina Carfrey, Lauren Brandon, Ashley Gentle. Like, holy cow, this is going to be crazy. It's almost more epic than the men's start list in some regard. And what's like the depth is crazy, but you don't ever see that for a women's race these days. Incredible. Um, I think, I think I was around sky Monch a couple weekends ago, her and Ruth Assel, I think have very similar strengths in their racing. And I want to see that how they do head toe to toe. Yeah, that'll be amazing. There's such strong cyclists and now you've got, you know, half a dozen women at least in that field who are incredibly strong cyclists um daniela reef probably won't be kind of leaving the field behind i mean taylor nib yeah incredible she's got a probably a tri bike this year so it's uh <laughs> no it's no, no. Scary. they put her on the zwift buffalo this year just to say <laughs> for real <laughs> so uh so yeah it's gonna be pretty nuts as well but dude i don't know about this women's field man like when I look at the men's field, I kind of have an idea of like who I'd pick for my top three. When I look at the women's field, I'm like, this is so up in the air. Well, because uh, guys just go blow up and then DNF like left and right. And the women are just like sturdy, 
fortresses and they just don't, I don't know. We just, we're so fickle. Like the women just have this big chess match and no one even talks about it until it's behind their back. Ayueda is racing. Did you see that? Yeah, I just noticed that. Ayueda, cool. who's like a very good Japanese ITU athlete. Yeah. Um, she's won a WTS event, I think, or come very you know, yeah. high up. She's definitely won a World Cup. She is. She can run. She's a little pocket yeah. rocket. So, All right. So it's fireworks, explosions. I even heard Iron Man is kind of branching out and doing a little bit different type of broadcast. Hopefully this is inside. Yeah. inside How do we insider about outsider yeah i don't how know do how you're gonna watch this? it i don't know google it i know roku so if you have a roku i know outsider is on one of their free tv channels so maybe it will be on that it's probably but, cost eight dollars and 99 cents yeah i'll pay for it i paid oh. for the the couples challenge so i'll pay for this <laughs> i think there's like seven of you yeah <laughs> So one thing's for sure about this field, men's and women's, you've got a lot of very strong swim bikers who can run well also, but you're going to have groups. I think even in the women's race, you're going to have a pack of at least half a dozen up near the front of the race, uh, really pushing it on the bike. So it, I think it'll play out like a championship race and it's whoever can get in that group and then still run really well. Um, and but, Saturday weather is looking like, standard Beauty. california low clouds in the morning prepare for that fog um man your your highs and lows are 65 and or yeah 65 and 50 what a beauty yeah it's pretty ideal i mean 50 fahrenheit for the start of a race is perfect um coming from the great white north that's like a nice perfect day some people are going to be messing around with gloves and stuff but they can waste time and uh we'll be gone i hope the yeah. swim is just choppy and tarantulas <laughs> i think it would right. be but anyway right, that's guys. that race we should probably get into yeah. this episode let's yeah. get into this episode we had a really long interview with uh robbie there so who is robbie guys introduce him robbie deckard is a dear friend who way back in the day we used to call stilts and then he grew his hair out and is all curly and now he's shaved bald uh, like lionel sanders and he's real smart he looks like a professor. Jackson, continue. Well, uh, all those physical attributes are true, uh, but he's also a pretty pretty good triathlete. He's uh, he's done really well. He's always pro triathlete. Been a solid runner. Runner, uh, yeah, pro triathlete. I think he's gone back and forth with Nick more than a couple times on some of these races. Yeah, him and I uh, usually talking all kinds of shade. <laughs> but yeah, obviously, really good athlete who's gotten better each year. Uh, I think he's got a podium as well, or or more at least a couple podiums. So super interested to see how he's been changing his training approach, uh, working with lactate, with a lactate meter, measuring those zones, using it to determine where he is in his training uh, and where he should be. So we're going to learn all about it from him. And uh, this is the exact same stuff that Lionel's doing and the Norwegians are doing and all kinds of guys are doing um, to kind of optimize their training. Yeah. A lot of morals to this story. It's a really good episode. Uh, Robbie's done a lot of research, so he speaks very, you know, fluently within the lactate lingo, which I was very unfamiliar with. So we're doing good there. Uh, Garrick, did you learn anything? Yeah, I've, uh, I mean, I've been watching all the YouTube videos of everyone poking themselves and I've been meaning to get into this and I think I committed to finally getting this. 
I thought um, this was a no needle sport, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we should probably um, get into the interview and we can, uh, recap yeah. it after. So <laughs> cool. Here, here's the talk with Robbie Decker. All right, ladies and gentlemen, as promised, Roberto Decorino is in the house. <laughs> Robbie Decker. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I feel like we should just cut that part, but no. Okay. Hey, Robbie, thanks for joining us. Um, we are all pretty, pretty, I don't want to say ignorant to what goes on with lactate testing, but we're all kind of like, oh, everyone's doing that, but I don't really want to have to do it. So I'm just going to pretend it's not that great. But we're going to hear from you about what you've been doing because. Nick was saying that you've been really into the testing and you understand it all and what it's doing and how you're using it. So we'd love to hear about it and how it's helping with your training and preparation for this year. Yeah, I'd love to go into details. Do you guys want more of a, a general rundown or want to ask specific questions? Up to you. Um, first and foremost, who are you? Let's talk about that. You're the, you, right. form, the artist formerly known as the very curly-haired afro runner skinny that, on skinny that's right kilts. but now yeah, you was the skinny skinny fro man but now i'm just the skinny man <laughs> i can always call you uh, stilts. <laughs> yeah well well yeah you know, the brief rundown let's see 20 i'm 26 years old i'm from indianapolis indiana originally i moved out to colorado at about age 18 and uh yeah i started doing doing endurance sports i should say age 14 about I played baseball up to that point and then started biking running swimming I don't know if you want to call it swimming I was getting to the other end of the pool and back but it wasn't very fast and then uh yeah moved to Colorado to to go to school and also just because Boulder is sort of the mecca of triathlon and that's what I wanted to do and so I'm actually still in Boulder Colorado right now or Louisville Colorado right outside Boulder um I've spent some time in Steamboat. Uh, I spent the winter in Tucson this year. I spent a bit of time in Florida. But yeah, mainly mainly Louisville now. And then headed to Europe here in a few, uh, a couple months, uh, six weeks. Then I'm not sure after that. Still just living the nomad life. After this Europe trip, my lease will end in Boulder. And I will I will be officially homeless, a homeless athlete. Yeah. Well, that's pretty <laughs> living, fun. Living the dream. That's just stereotypical triathlete right there. Pretty Living much. If it doesn't fit in the bike box, it, it doesn't go with me at this point. Exactly. <laughs> um, so is this is triathlon your primary source of everything or you're also coaching now? Yeah. So coaching is, I suppose, yeah, equals, oh, I get more income looking at it from an income standpoint from coaching. Than I do triathlon uh, at the moment. Well, that's I do still from coaching. triathlon. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess it depends on how you look at it. It is from triathlon and I, I love it just as much as racing myself almost because it, it ties in super well. Um, so yeah, making a living or making enough money to get by via triathlon that you can say is accurate. Okay, sweet. Um, a lot of us have to have some side gigs and there's no shame in that. I think, uh, yeah, it allows us to get to a race and then bring a little bit more back home and it's all, it's all the better. Um, Jackson, yeah. of course, doesn't know that because he just makes money. Coach, I mean, you know. races. He coaches one person for $9,000 a year. Jack <laughs> traps tra Jack traps people in his basement and he says, you're going to pay me for rent and coaching. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. And I won't even charge you to train with me. So, yeah. Oh, there's the training yeah. fee. I guess I'm in debt. <laughs> Actually, I people ask, how, how much is rent there? 
How much is rent? Yeah, yeah, I'm looking for a place coming <laughs> Oh, uh, ooh, let's see. Uh, we got the international person fee. We got the fee. <laughs> All right, yeah. <laughs> I think I'm going to pass. Uh, but, so, we've been racing you for a long time. You've obviously had some really solid results. You've, you've had a, at least 170.3 podium that I remember. Um, you're always super strong in the run and you know you're you've just been a guy who's gotten better every year and now you've gotten into some lactate testing and using that to support your training now obviously now now that the norwegians have posted about it it's all a big thing now everybody's talking about it and then lionel's doing it and uh it seems to be this big popular thing now although it's not new at all so how have you gone about using that like do you do an initial like lactate threshold test and then you base your zones off of kind of that lactate number that you get or do you kind of does it change as you go and you have to test yourself all the time yeah yes all that and i guess i'll I'll start out by saying why i started using the lactate and the reason i started using it was simply well i moved up to steamboat or near steamboat springs to eight thousand feet and as you guys know, training gets much harder, 8,000 feet. And I found it was really easy to go too hard, not just in the hard sessions, but the easy sessions. So I thought, all right, what is a way that I can actually measure the intensity of my workout? I mean, you have power on your, on your bike and on the run. If you have stride, uh, you have pace in the pool, pace on the run. But it's just the variable of altitude is so big and, and 8,000 feet, 8,500 feet is pretty high. So I noticed that if I went too hard on one session, I was pretty wrecked for the next couple of days. I was like, how can I avoid this? Um, started doing research, looking at what the best athletes in the world were doing, uh, including the Norwegians and, and plenty of other people are using it, um, just some more secretively than they are. Or it's, it's a little, yeah, I guess a secret, secretive is the best way to put it. Um, so I, I found a coach. His name was Luke Van Leerd. He won Kona as an athlete a couple of times, late 90s, early 2000s. And he also coached uh, a Kona champion, Frederick Van Leerd, unrelated. Um, and he worked sort of scientifically and, and he seemed to know a lot. And I figured I could learn a lot from him. And that was exactly the case. I started uh, working with him. Let's see, what is it? It's 2022. I worked with him all of last year and learned a ton. And my plan all along um, was to sort of work with him, learn as much as possible as an athlete slash coach slash slash person interested in physiology. Um, I learned a lot from him. And then heading into the season, I had actually planned on staying with him as a coach, but I just didn't quite agree 100% with the training I was doing. So I thought, okay, I think I know enough. I read all the time. I listen to everybody smart. Um, and so I went out on my own. Uh, and because of that, I knew I needed some, you know, to really be testing a lot because I don't have the experience that, that Luke had of 20 years of coaching and 20 years of racing, basically. Um, so I test all the time, uh, just to make sure the intensity is controlled. So I guess, uh, yeah, the, the primary use of lactate, uh, two main uses on the daily basis, it's intensity control during the session. And on a more general scale, you can use the lactate to sort of profile yourself or whatever the athlete you're coaching is doing. Um, so with the lactate, you can sort of see how much energy relatively are you getting from your aerobic system and how much energy are you relatively getting from your anaerobic system. Um, which and which lactate, also um, is applicable. It's, it's like this is good information for everyone because you could do this during traffic and you could see how mad and stressed out you are. 
and just te test your lactate, right? You could. You could. <laughs> well, it is applicable to any endurance athlete. I mean, if you do a race that's longer than, say, 800 meters on the track, you you are an aerobic athlete. Well, um, I think the, real real quick too, Robbie. Let's use your um, let's use your knowledge. Excuse me, can't even think right. Um, your knowledge to debunk a couple things about lactate. I think it's lactic acid and lactate. I think a lot of people are confused about their function within the um, energy system. So lay it out there what you know about, you know, the differences, lactic acid, lactic acid and lactate, why you, why there's a difference between the two, all that stuff, Jackson, you chime in too. I mean, I guess we all have sports physiology degrees. We can talk a little bit of big words, but Robbie, you lead us off. Yeah. I mean, I'm no scientist, uh, nor am I an expert, but from what I gather, you, you can produce energy two ways, aerobically or anaerobically. Uh, aerobic system is, we sort of, that's 99 percent contributing to our energy in a triathlon so it's by far the most important system the anaerobic system is used more for short explosive uh bouts like 100 meters on the track or or 50 in the pool something like that um so not super super important uh for triathletes but it still is important um lactate so the aerobic system you can sort of use just to simplify, uh, you, you can burn fat and that creates no bad byproducts when you create energy by burning fat. Whereas the anaerobic system uses carbohydrates. And when you make energy to, to move with those carbohydrates, you also produce, uh, lactate or pyruvate actually, which is immediately turned into lactate. Yeah. Um, lactate is actually not bad. We can use lactate. It's, uh, it's a fuel. So that yeah. lactate can then be shuttled into the mitochondria of the, the more slow twitch aerobic muscles and immediately uses fuel. So lactate is actually good and you, you want to produce lactate. Um, the bad thing or, or lactate gets a bad rep, bad rep because when it is produced and it's not used, um, aerobically by the slow twitch or by the mitochondria and the slow twitch muscle fibers, it also produces, or it's something splits off and a hydrogen ion comes off of it. And that makes sort of your muscle environment more acidic. And that, that hydrogen ion and the acidity that that creates is what, what creates the burning sensation in your muscles. Um, and if you have enough acidity in your muscles, you have to slow down just because your body says, okay, we're, we're going to die eventually if this continues. So we got to slow this, slow the sucker down. So then you have to slow down. Perfect. Um, yeah. So that, that's exactly it. a lot of folks that I coach too. They they're talking about the next day. Like I got too much lactic acid up in my legs from yesterday. I'm sore. I'm like, God, that's not how it works. And trying to explain to the majority of age group athletes, why lactic or lactate isn't necessarily the enemy um, is really important. So thank you for diving into that. So anyways, I'll chime us into the other aspect of what you're doing. If you don't mind, um, what tools do you need to do this? Uh, it's very simple. And honestly, it's pretty affordable. If you're in triathlon, you know, you can spend a lot of money on a lot of gear. Um, you need a lactate meter, set you back about 400 bucks, depending on which one you get and lactate strips, which are about a dollar a piece. And then you need a, a paper towel or a, a little sanitizing wipe. And that is all you need. Oh yeah. Just go buy groceries or decide to buy this lactate machine, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if, if you're listening to this and you sort of want to get into it and you're debating, do I buy alpha flies or a lactate meter? The lactate meter is, is going to save you more time in the long run in your race. Okay. Perfect. All right. So back into it. 
Um, you, we know the why you're doing it. We know how you've gotten in, into it. So let's talk about how you're utilizing it in training. Yeah. Um, so how I utilize it in training is the, the first step is sort of do a ramp test, like Jackson said, um, or more of a step test. A ramp test is more continual progression or as a step test. Um, it's the classic test where you'll ride at, say, 100 watts for six minutes, take the lactate bump the watts to 120 watts, take the lactate, et cetera, and so on and so on. Um, in doing this, you find sort of two important points. One is the, now the, there are a million different terms for this. So I just like to use LT1 and LT2, the lactate threshold one and lactate threshold two, or you can say lactate turn point one and two. The first one um, sort of as you do the step test, you start very easily. On those first tests, your lactate will be stable. On the next step, your lactate will be almost identical, almost identical for the next step. And then eventually, once you sort of max out that aerobic system, um, the anaerobic system has to chime in and start producing a bit of energy. And when that happens, you start to see a slight increase in lactate. Um, so where that first increase happens, LT1, uh, that is probably the most important point in all of endurance sports. Um, if you're a runner, swimmer, cyclist, that needs to be as high an intensity as possible. That is the primary goal of training. Um, the second turn point happens at oh, real the, quick, real quick before yeah, yeah. you go on there. Okay. So let's say somebody's threshold or traditional, like one hour power ability is about 300 watts or something like that let's just say where would you expect the lt1 approximately to come in would it be like 150 or would it be like 200 250 what would you well, this, expect this is where people differ greatly and it's actually very interesting um so i mentioned earlier about profiling an athlete by profiling an athlete you sort of see okay how much energy is this athlete able to produce aerobically mainly aerobically so you can't say oh this athlete will probably have a lt1 at 150 or 200 um, the more aerobically fit the athlete, the higher that number is going to be. If yeah. you want to guess and you don't have a, a lactate meter, a really accurate free way to guess where your LT1 is, is how hard can you keep riding while only breathing through your nose? Um, I've heard a lot of smart people say that that correlates very well with lab results. Um, with with the actual one. Run any, any endurance sport. Yeah. Okay. Swimming, obviously you can't breathe through your nose. It's so too hard. ideally you want us to just duct tape our mouth and <laughs> bike. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Honestly, I was doing a ride the other day and I put water in my mouth. I thought, okay, Robbie, you know, like your power, me, my battery died halfway through my ride. I thought, all right, well, the best way to know I'm doing this ride right is to not breathe through my mouth. So I took a sip of water and just left it in my mouth and I, you said that you're not allowed to breathe through your mouth for the next now, is that is that a step test or a ramp test when you're doing that uh that's called a ramp test okay so or, sorry can... sorry so, i'm sorry step test yeah, okay. because there are different steps so you're doing periods of like two minutes at like five watt jumps until you're like okay can't do it anymore um well there's a lag from so when you measure your blood lactate you're measuring exactly that your blood lactate um the lactate is produced in the muscle cells and there's a lag between um, oh. production in the muscle cell and blood. So a common mistake, actually a very common mistake, even labs make this mistake is having too short of ramps. Um, you need minimum, really minimum three minutes. Um, most people who use lactate a lot use closer to six or eight minutes per step. 
Wow. Okay. Same thing with those uh, blood glucose monitors that go in the back of your arm. Those things have a significant lag because it's only measuring okay. interstitial fluid, not blood. So same type yeah. of premise. Yeah. Okay. So you get your LT1 and that's basically when your lactate starts to increase. So that's when you're no longer only using aerobic energy, which makes sense. Um, and then let me guess, I'm, LT2 is when your lactate peaks. Is that right? It is when it starts increasing more exponentially than linearly. And at one point, uh, you oh, said see. using only aerobic energy before LT1, you're still using anaerobic energy. It's just Low. over 50% aerobic. Um, okay, gotcha. So it's barely yeah. increasing your lactate. Exactly. It's not increasing because that you aerobic system more is still able to keep up. Use it. Yeah, gotcha. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And then, yes, LT2 is where you'll, you stop seeing a linear sort of maintainable rise in lactate and, and it's, it turns exponential. Yeah. So when it goes exponential, so that LT2 would be what most people consider like threshold on the bike, because if it's no longer, if you're above that, then it's increasing exponentially and you're not going to be able to clear it. So you just can't sustain that power for very long, essentially. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so usually what percentage roughly, I know we said everyone's different, but like for a pro triathlete, you know, what have you seen or heard in your stuff? Like what percentage of FTP does that LT1, LT2 differentiation usually occur watt wise? Um, it, yeah, again, it depends between, or well, let's just talk about athletes. you about, you? about 70, about 70%. Actually, I don't know. I'm about to test in five days. I just got back to altitude. So I'm oh. acclimating a little bit. I'm going to test. Um, but yeah, number wise, say my LT2 is about 280. My LT1 is about 210. So that's a, a bit too far. So right now I'm focusing on getting LT1 closer to LT2. Uh, but about 70% of LT2, you can say is a safe estimate of about where LT1 is. Okay. How often are you testing during these sessions when you're trying to figure out your baseline? And then how often are you testing just during regular training once you've gotten established numbers? Yeah, take yeah, us through so during kind the, of a, a session, like how you how you use it. Yeah, that's here's an example session. Um, let's see, what's the last session I did with lactate? It was in the pool, and it was 10, 300 swimming. And I wanted to be just under that LT2 mark without going too hard. And for me, it's very easy to go too hard because I don't have a swim background, so I have to rely on poor technique, and I end up going too hard most of the time. Um, for that session, I tested lactate after the second 300, uh, every other 300, I guess. So every 600 meters. And what I was looking for was not the actual number of the lactate. I knew it would be around 2.4, 2.5, 2.6, but I was really looking, um, or hoping not to see an increase. Um, so after the first rep at one uh, one thirteen pace, I was 2.4 good. After the fourth rep, I was 113 pace, 2.4. Then I increased the pace to 110 and it went to 3.1. So I saw right there, okay, I just stepped over LT2. I need to go back down to 112, 113. Um, so yeah, on a daily basis, that's how I use it. Not so much looking for an actual lactate number, more seeing how it changes during the workout. Um, I think that's mm -hmm. what people get confused on a lot is they want to know what the number is. The number matters, but it matters more so how it's changing or if it's changing during those efforts. Yeah. Um, so yeah, very interesting. And then you're look, so you're looking to train your aerobic system essentially by staying under that LT two. 
Now, let's say you were doing like over LT2 for all those reps. Would that then be not training your aerobic system as much, or would it just be creating too much fatigue? Waste. Both. Yeah. yeah, you would be training the wrong system to be active all the time, which would be too much anaerobic contribution. And I've just found personally, when I go over that LT2, if I do it for, for a decent bit of time, I'm really tired. Um, so I think it's that is what leads to overtraining a lot is simply just training too hard, not necessarily too much or, or too much <laughs> too hard rather. So, yeah. so the benefits of going close to LT2 versus going over it, um, you know, obviously you're trying to develop LT1 more, you know, dominant. And this is probably a little bit, is this, cons- you know, side question. Um, you've probably heard of Philip Maffetone, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, is- uh, his book is sitting right next to me. Okay. So it kind of sits within that function, right? So you set your standard, whatever your aerobic level is within like five beats per minute. And you just only run that heart rate for a certain amount of time. And then eventually you get really, really fast at that same heart rate. Um, so this is kind of training that same, you know, your, your individual internal systems with that same process, right? Exactly. Yeah. Maffetone, the, the sort of basic or underlying principle was get LT1 as high as possible. So the, the famous example is Mark Allen being upset that he was being beat by Mark Pig and these guys, and he was training much harder than they were. And then he found Maffetone and Maffetone said, train under 155 beats per minute, which happened to be Mark Allen's about LT1. So Allen trained at 155 or under, and as LT1 became monstrous, and then, then he went Kona. Okay. Um, so then back to the question again. Um, what are the benefits of going above or near LT2? And, you know, what is, what studies have you seen to, do they support that? Are we all training too hard? Should we never do it? Um, you know, what, what's the ratio? Yeah, for me, and again, I'm not an expert and I haven't tested a bunch of people, but for me, I found I really don't need to go over LT2 ever right right now, simply because my aerobic system, I think Maffetone coined this term, maybe aerobic deficiency syndrome. Um, meaning you're not aerobically strong enough. Um, and I think I sort of fall under that category. So I, I'm basically keeping all my training under LT2 and 90% of my training is at or, or under LT1 um, and only my hard sessions. So I go up to just below LT2. So I guess it, it depends on, on your current strength um, or current uh, profile, I guess you would say. Yeah, your current but, aerobic system of uh, strength. Yeah. And basically until you really have a good base, as you would call it, of aerobic system at or under LT1 and a bit of LT2, I really don't think any endurance athlete racing a non-draft half Ironman needs to go over LT2 just simply because it's, it's required so little in the race. Um, So for the swim start, do you do like hard starts, like hard fifties leading into a race? Yes, I, I think I did two two little bouts. So uh, the guy or one of the pioneers of sort of using lactate in training and sort of understanding how VLA max or or anaerobic capacity um, works. His name is Jan Albrecht, a, a Belgian guy, and he found that doing actually short little sprints uh, trains some of the mitochondria to become more aerobically fit um so I, I incorporate a few short sprints but honestly before the first race of the this year uh, which was miami i did maybe 
300 meters or 200 meters total of sprinting and i had no problem at the start of the race uh sprinting total just, like total in all of total in all of training uh from from december to the race yeah wow and let's talk about the race then how how did the race go yeah it was fine um the swim uh was decent for me i got out well and i i ended up choking out a bunch of water sort of right at the first buoy so i stood up because it was shallow lost a few positions um and I thought, man i might be screwed here because i'm not not that great a swimmer but i was able to swim actually right up to next feet um i don't want to say easily but i was in control the whole time oh yeah um, okay. i figured i figured i was safe <laughs> so i sort of sort of inspected next toenails you know made sure he clipped his nails for the race for the next 15 minutes and, and then came out of the water right right with him so i'm so very happy yeah yeah they were they, your feet looked very nice better than mine um but yeah i was very happy with the swim simply because it was it was pretty easy to be there i knew i could could move up if i wanted to and yeah the bike was same thing i had really good feeling uh or feelings on the bike immediately the watts were were good sort of moving up the group again with nick um and then with two and a half or three laps to go well actually with about seven or eight laps to go it started to get really hard to stay with Nick, but I was doing higher watts. Um, and then I realized I had a flat tire and then it went completely flat with two or three laps to go. You so ever play, uh, you ever played Mario Kart? That's what that was happening. I dropped some freaking hit you with a red shell bitch. I think so. I think you dropped a banana and I definitely <laughs> hit it on the track. Yeah. Well, so yeah, overall the race is good. Didn't get to run, but I know the run is in a good spot. So look, really looking forward to the rest of the season. I think yeah, you ran over a good spot. You I mean, ran over one of Ben Canute's uh, lake lactate testing needles he was using during the race. I think so. <laughs> so yeah. you were saying, like, giving that example in the swim, you said that you were testing after the 300s. You said you did 10 of them. Did you test after every 300? I, I tested after every other 300 in that session. But, yeah, I will test after every rep in, in a run workout. I say, oh, I, I did five by six minutes that day as well on the run, just under LT2. And – and yeah, I was exact. I think I was 2.4 on every single rep. Um, so, so I was right on. So okay. are your ears just like scabbed and bloodied or like, how do you deal with that? Well, I do the fingertips because I can't see my own ears. They're just not big enough. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, my fingers are pretty ugly, especially in my left ring finger. I don't plan on getting married soon. So maybe once I know a wedding is coming up, I'll stop stop using my left hand but or is that the is that the wedding ring finger yeah yeah so yeah is yeah, this, yeah. I'll, I'll... is this like a diet where like you're so committed now that you just can never not prick your finger for everything you do from here on out like you're stuck within being a vegetarian forever it's all or nothing uh, oh i th well i test so much now honestly i was testing so much out of complete fear earlier in the year i didn't want to mess it up because i went out on my own left a coach who's successful and I was like, come on, Robbie, like you better, you better use science as much as possible because, because you simply don't have the experience that he had. Um, but I think the more and more I test, the more I'll learn and sort of learn the feelings. I, that is very interesting. Sometimes your feelings don't match lactate, I will say. Um, so I think it is important to use lactate often, especially sort of later in the day or early in the day. <laughs> yeah. Any time of day, sometimes your feelings don't match lactate. Um, huh. But yeah, I, I will always use lactate, I think from now on, unless some uh, unless you can have a continuous well yeah isn't there like a biopsy isn't there a way deal 
to measure it can, I've seen people in actual, it's probably just way too expensive, but you'll put like a sensor on your quad or whatever, and it'll like, just keep, give you a live reading of your lactate. Maybe that's a muscle biopsy type thing they have in the lab, but definitely not commercially available. And I, I don't even know if that's blood lactate, but yeah. Oh, it's probably not, man. I mean, you don't want to be contracting your quad with a needle in there, I guess. Yeah, yeah I don't, oh, I don't think so. Oh, uh, muscle biopsies yeah. are so painful. Is it? I've yeah. never had that. Yeah. Um, so now we've talked about this LT2. You don't want to go with that. So this LT1 zone, you let's say for you, you're about 210 on the LT1. Is that like what you're going for for most of your aerobic efforts? Is like just close to close to that? Like you're better off at 205 than 190, for example. About watts. Yeah. Because yeah. he said his LT1 was at 210. Okay, I just missed that. Um, yeah. So for me, because my LT1 is not that good, um, I can pretty much train at LT1 all the time. Um, just because. So say you have two athletes. One athlete's LT1 is 150 watts. The other athlete, who's a pro cyclist, his LT1 could be 300 watts. Now, metabolically, both of those athletes are going to be riding easy if they're just below that LT1. However, it's just a big muscular strain and mainly a big energy demand for the pro cyclist whose LT1 is 300 watts. So technically, they could both ride at 300 watts and, and metabolically, they'll be really not impacted very much. They could do it four hours a day, every day, and, and be pretty tired. much fine. But yeah, that this the pro cyclist just has to eat so much food. To, yeah. to not go into an energy deficit. So the better it gets, the more, more like interval type training you have to do. Uh, but for me, yeah, I'm just going out and sort of sitting right under the LT1 for the majority of rides, unless it's a recovery ride. Yeah. Oh. I think that's my, that was my career until this like last few years was building my capacity to handle LT1 and LT2 variations. Like, cause I would ride, I think my FTP hasn't changed much over the last few years, but now I can actually run off of that, you know, high FTP. So I think like, finally I built the tolerance for that type of energy demand over time, which is probably means I'm aerobically shit. So I guess that's, well, yeah, I mean, you, you could have had maybe your FTP is or LT2 is the same now, but your, your LT1 has gotten better. So you're, you're burning less fuel at that yeah, LT2. Also a good pat on the back for me. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you're looking strong and just physically like appearance wise, you're also looking strong. Well, can I say too, can I just, you, you had, um, you know, you stayed the over with me in Miami one night. Cause we just had to share a hotel in a king size bed. It was amazing. <laughs> but the one thing I noticed for sure was when you put those glasses on, you look like the smart, the smartest athlete I've ever seen in my life. Wow. <laughs> I appreciate that. Like, I, I just simply can't see without them. No, I was like, what this guy. That he looked a lot like Lionel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Robbie Deckard is going to write a novel, and I can just tell you that right now. I do like writing. <laughs> see, I knew. <laughs> He's already started one. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Now, so, Robbie, um, is there like a better lactate meter that you would recommend and where, like, where would you go to buy one of these Amazon or is there one out there? Sponsor plug. Oh shoot. I wish I had a sponsor. I'm, <laughs> I, I tried to get a sponsor. But I didn't get it. So I'll just have to give you my honest opinion. Thing. Um, like <laughs> yeah. actually, so this is twofold one. You can go to, it's called lactate.com. Um, and it has a, a ton 
it looks like it was made in 1985 and they did not update the graphics since then but honestly of, of any resource on the internet like that's probably the best one in terms of having all the info in one spot um but yeah lactate.com one has a ton of good info and two it gives you links to buy lactate meters um, i get mine through hab a british company called hab h-a-b direct uh, and it, it gets here quickly and it's the lactate pro 2 that i use but i heard through the grapevine um, through a friend who's coached by a norwegian coach that the lactate pro 2 is not as good as the lactate scout i believe which is the yellow one so look for the yellow one are we just looking um, for accuracy here i guess plus or accuracy minus? okay yeah yeah but the the good thing is the lactate pro 2 uh, apparently it just reads a little low sometimes so better huh. to read um or i'm sorry it reads a little high so it's better to have it read a little high than a little low so you always want to err on the, the side of going a little easier yeah i'm gonna so, put yeah. this website in the description it is hilarious yeah it's not lactose.com what's that <laughs> yeah I, I just had to close that tab to get open this one <laughs> this is oh man i wish our real tri squad website could be this throwback yes oh, <laughs> you know I mean. you know this was done some sort of sports physiology thing because they always have websites like this for sure <laughs> for sure it's the website looks so bad you know the information must be good <laughs> yeah. this is like a .org situation yeah so robbie i've got another question for you so you said your lt1 sucks basically um so you're trying to make it better so now let's say you got your lt1 to a point where it's like so good and you can't get it any higher what would you what would somebody like that do then they're like oh my lt1's crazy like what am I going to do for training? Would they then start pushing their LT2 higher or would they even train above that and train like anaerobically? Well, yeah, I have a twofold response. One, I find that LT1 and LT2 sort of move in tandem. So if you're focusing on LT2 um, and still doing some easy recovery workouts in between, your LT1 will get better. Um, and I found that out last block. It was an LT2 focus leading into this race. I thought, oh man, I hope my LT1 doesn't get worse. And it, and it definitely got better. Um, also I was doing a decent volume of just easy running and riding and swimming. Um, so yeah, it's not necessarily one or the other. Um, they sort of move in tandem. It's rather just which one do you want to move faster right now? Um, and I want to move LT1 faster for just the next three or four weeks, um, which is relatively short, then go to LT2 leading into the race. But generally, um, uh, sort of a, a guy named Alan Cousins. Um, if you look at his Twitter, uh, maybe link to that. That's a, he has a really good Twitter. Um, he sort of breaks it down simply sort of how you need to look at training and sort of when you need to focus on what basically LT one is the most important because you can, it's sort of the vacuum that takes up all that lactate and produces energy. LT two is then also very important because that's sort of your race power. And then you have a third parameter, which is VO2 max. It's sort of the ceiling for all of this that's happening. Um, so you, assuming you're fit and you've, you've moved your LT1 and LT2 very high, um, you can sort of cycle through those three phases. So sort of LT1 focus, LT2 focus, and then bump the ceiling with a, a short VO2 max focus. And Dan Larang, uh, the coach of Jan Ferdino and Frederick Funk and Annie Haug, um, he, he has a very similar approach if you listen to to what he says or what he read or what he writes um it's sort of alternating between those three those three focuses depending on what time of year it is um 
So if, uh, a, a guy, I'll, I'll, I will say Frederick Funk, he publishes a lot of his training and I've talked to him in person about his training a lot. Um, and I know Dan coaches him um, and he explains it pretty well with his YouTube videos. Uh, I think the first one he made, he actually gives all his results, which I think is pretty cool. Um, it sort awesome. of explains how they're using those results. But yeah, so so seems all the smart coaches or all, all the most successful athletes, their coaches are sort of cycling through these three phases whether or not they say it explicitly or, or know it or not um, that's sort of what it looks like is lt1 lt2 vo2 max and honestly not that much vo2 max and that fits yeah. into sutton's overall old school terminology anyways medium moderate mad or whatever so like there's yeah. three zones yeah he trains only true yeah i mean look at lydiard too i mean all these guys whether or not they they use the scientific lingo it's if they're successful endurance athletes or coaches, they end up doing about the same thing. Okay. So the major takeaway for this entire, entire thing is train, not as hard. That's pretty much. Yeah, po possibly. Yeah. <laughs> Unless your LT1 is super good. <laughs> so, so Robbie, real quick too, some protocols. I mean, this would be a good episode no matter what, but I think this will make even better. Like, what do you, what sessions are you specifically doing that are going to elongate your lt1 are you like only like five minutes at this are you varying like what are you varying now to make the differences actually matter yeah so right now i mean what i'm doing um and i wrote a blog post on my website if i feel like maybe it goes into a bit more detail if anybody wants to read it but so right now um for that lt1 i'm just because it's not super fast on the run or super high on the bike i can exercise that intensity for a long time so yeah i'm just sort of sitting right under lt1 for for a good bit of time each week uh with some recovery sessions in between just to to get some extra miles in and sort of recover from the sessions with a bit of lt2 sprinkled in um so so yeah i mean right now my focus is is doing that lt1 work and that is sort of what you would call like the long-term approach i suppose so, so like um, just going out for like three hours at lt1 slightly below it that's like all you yeah like. yeah i guess i don't know if i'm like physically weak or what but sometimes it makes me tired the lt1 work when i ride at just 200 210 watts all day so i sort of break it in intervals um i'll do something like 30 minutes at 160 170 watts so under lt1 for sure and then 30 minutes at 200, 210 at LT1 and sort of alternate for four hours. It are, sounds... you, are you mixing cadences at all during this period at all? Or are you just standard, regular cadence? Yeah, cadence is something that I definitely look at a lot. Um, I don't want to give away too many secrets, but the cadence definitely affects the lactate production. Well, yeah, because um, I've low, been... low cadence is going to recruit more muscle fibers and create and require more lactate. So higher cadence spinning probably would be more aerobic in nature. Am I right? Well, the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because the, you're looking at torque on each pedal stroke. I mean, Watts are just, I think I have no physics knowledge, but I think uh, Watts on your bike are sort of cadence. It's a function of cadence and torque on the pedals. Um, so, so how fast are you spinning the pedals and what's the torque on the pedal? Yeah. So higher or low cadence, you could generate high lactate. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'll just say, I, there's no need to be secretive. Um, I found that lower cadence actually definitely lowers lactate to a point, which is a little counterintuitive because I figured the higher torque recruits more fast switch muscle fibers, which I thought would be less efficient, which would then produce more lactate, but I found the opposite. Um, yeah, so for example, sense. if you do 
six by 10 minutes LTCU on the bike. I'll do the first one at 90, 95 RPM um, at say 270 watts, lactate is three. Then I go down to 60 RPM, lactate is two. Back up to 90, it's back up to three. Um, so yeah, in, in Miami, actually, I was upper 70s cadence. And I feel like that might be on the low side, especially for somebody with real skinny legs. But um, yeah, I find if you can sort of lower that cadence down, um, it will lower the lactate. And you'll see that in the heart rate too. Um, I don't know. I think well, it's, it makes sense when you think about, like when you're doing a pedal stroke, there's a whole lot of leg movement that doesn't necessarily produce power. So you're just, you're like your whole leg, your whole knee has to like come up and down your foot comes to the back and all the way up and over top. So you're just moving more. If you have more cadence, higher cadence. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a more aerobic demand. Yeah. And I think it's more a function of efficiency. uh, What you're saying, Jackson, like the faster your legs are spinning, the more room for inefficiency there is, the more likely it will be inefficient. Well, and then it goes back to what we said and all, a lot of the great coaches, their athletes, you know, Danielle Reef and, and what have you have like a freaking 70, 60 cadence in their races. Yeah. Um, yeah. So <laughs> if you can sustain it, it's, and I felt it before, like the heart rate's lower for sure. It's just, can your legs actually do it? Um, yeah. So like, obviously you're not going to want to train at 90 RPM and then go race at 75 and that's it. But if you can do it, you can it's probably beneficial for most people to try to lower it a little bit. Yeah. I think it's just a balance. You, you got to slowly lower it and uh, sort of find what, what doesn't tax your legs too much. And then also what doesn't get your heart rate too high. Well, again, like this is great news and it's awesome data, but this is still nothing new. It's like, why have we, why do we just mess up things that work with other things that are like way more, <laughs> convoluted and confusing and based because off how of could it possibly be better not to just work as hard as possible in all your workouts yeah, yeah like more is more harder is harder i think we get caught up in the fact that it feels good to go hard on everything but for for like such not profession but a sport where we're so obsessed with data i don't know why we haven't gotten into this faster and like this technology has been available for so long and you look at this website this technology has been available probably since like when they were calling the internet the information highway or whatever in like the 90s. <laughs> well, that was when I was born, mister. <laughs> uh, well, I will say, I think one reason we don't use it too much is because people sort of, they, they find what works. Say you have an athlete, they find what works for them. Then they start coaching and they say, okay, this worked for me. Obviously it's going to work for other athletes. Then they prescribe this. This has happened to me personally. Like I've had a coach who said, okay, your easy ride should feel comfortably hard. You know, push them a little bit. and not understanding not hard he would say you know push the effort a little towards the end it's okay to be hurting a little bit and honestly that was terrible advice for me at that time because my aerobic system was not strong so I was just going producing a ton of lactate all the time it was my worst year in triathlon ever and I was overtrained all year Um, but if you have an athlete who has a very strong aerobic system that LT1 ends up feeling pretty hard so I know exactly what happened looking back he was very aerobically fit as an athlete. So he could push those easier sessions some subjectively because he was at a low lactate. However, I was not as aerobically fit as he was. So when I was pushing that same subjective or perceived effort, it was a completely different stimulus, um, which led to me overtraining and him being an extremely successful athlete. Okay. Devil's advocate real quick here, just because 
athletes have certainly done amazing things without being so crazy into this and training with more polarized approaches and maybe spending more time high too. Right. I mean, let's just say that maybe they didn't know what they were doing, but they were lactate. Some people get lucky. Right. I mean, there's been good people who haven't just stuck to this, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, or I know many athletes have and are right now just using basically no science and getting it right. Okay. Um, for example, a good podcast is the Greg Bennett podcast. And he talks about the sessions he would do and like listening to what he's saying. I know exactly why it was working. He didn't know why it was working when he was doing it, but he was in the badass athlete and it was working. <laughs> he didn't need to know why it was just working. Okay. So fair play to say that if most athletes are getting, you know, effectively fast over the course of a year or two, and they're not getting injured, it's fair to say that maybe they're developing more of that LT1. I mean, that's also something we didn't mention is you will get way less injured if you, you know, implement a lot of these strategies. Yeah. And then you can sort of say more is more. If you know you're training the right system to an extent, I mean, you can definitely do more training. I find my volume is, is much higher this year. Um, because I'm controlling the intensity uh, all the time uh, relative to what I used to do. I would definitely be overtrained if I trained this much at the wrong intensity. So I think, I think the other thing to mention is, um, you know, like you mentioned, Greg Bennett, he was, he was probably getting it right. And and it might not have just been luck. Like it, it, it very well could be, Oh, you know, tried this, tried that, tried this. Oh, this is working. I know what this feels like you know, I'm going to do more of this kind of thing. And that might've just been pushing that LT one or two or both at the correct efforts. Um, but rather than having the lactate, he just had sort of his own perceived exertion and experience. Um, For sure. So yeah. I think that's what, I think that's what it comes down to is you don't have to measure it, but if you measure it, you know, you're doing it right. Um, yeah. And then you get, you get that idea. deal. That, that's um, what I like is basically, I use it to avoid mistakes. Um, it's more of like a safety check. Well, an altitude as well. That's a great point. And another valid reason to implement this, like I need to do this probably when I go live at um, 10,000 feet for before some races, because I'm probably just destroying myself. There's been times when I've gotten it right and I've not trained as hard and I've shown up after altitude feeling good, but I've been shelled for weeks afterwards and it's gone the other way. So I think that's great. I mean, obviously super smart of you to get really involved with this, especially with your circumstances and altitude. Yeah, I, I will say the Norwegians uh, get the altitude camps right. And and I've heard Blumenfeld say when he would go to altitude, he used to just sort of assume the same paces and run his, his threshold work at three minutes per K. And then he would suck in the races after the camps. Then they started implementing the lactate and he would go to 315, 320 per K. Um, and then do freakish things and races oh um real quick i went to lactate.com i looked at the meters i'm doing it right now you said the yellow one but the spot he already bought four it's not the most expensive one like he needs is shouldn't the most expensive one be the best one (laughs) it's not what i was freaking saying i was saying the scout looks like it's blue and the lactate plus looks like it's yellow the plus okay the plus Uh, says it's professionals only like professional okay. athletes only or well, professional look, doctors? The lactate scout is already sold out. So I think Nick beat me to it. I'm going to have one of my doctor friends plus. get plus. 
Uh, yeah, but you can buy the Lactate Pro too. Uh, and it, I mean, it still is pretty, very close to being accurate. So I, I think it's accurate. Uh, well, anyways, I just wanted to clarify that for our listeners who are going to be like, well, the yellow one is, uh, I can't buy it. Look at this order form. <laughs> it's like an Excel sheet on a website. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. You can click the link. It takes you to an ordering, like an online ordering thing. Oh, thank goodness. This is this is the best. Well, Robbie probably doesn't need to be here while we order our lacking. <laughs> well, Robbie, yeah. I mean, this is definitely the most science-y, data-driven chat we've had ever. I don't know. Nice. It has to be. Okay, well, yeah. Had Matt Hansen come on and talk about his race before. Well, yeah, Matt Hansen's post-race report, maybe. But no, this is way more into like cellular biology than we've ever talked about. Nice. Well, I'm glad I could, could, could bring that to the podcast. Yeah. Anyways, Robbie, um, what's next for you, man? Where are you, where are you racing? What's next for me? I just got to Boulder. I drove from Tucson to Boulder yesterday. Got some easy training in today. Oceanside? I'm not. I'm not. Looks 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 like a stout field. Are you guys racing? Any of the three of you? Snacks and is. Just me. Yeah. Good luck. Good Hopefully luck. Hopefully my LT one and two are high enough to compete with the boys. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah. For me, I'll do six weeks here in Boulder. About six weeks, then I fly to do seventy point three Mallorca. Um, I need some redemption there. I crashed on the course the day before the race last oh, year. Oh, challenge Mallorca. Um, yeah, yeah, I do doing seventy point three this time where you guys were last year. Oh but, man, uh, yeah, last year was challenge. How was the course, by the way? What I don't know if it's the same. We had to go uh, up a really the, tough climb. Yeah, the first loop is the same. You guys did sort of one. Uh, you went out and then a big loop and then sort of came back. They uh, changed the bike course about three times three days before the race, so we didn't. That uh, first big loop is what I think we did uh, correctly, and I think that might be the seventy point three course. And then other little loop is different for the full. All right, it's a great climb yeah. and a technical descent, and then there's some kind of sketchy-ish road, not sketchy roads, but a little bit rough, lots of turns and stuff. Narrow. But if you can get a good climb and, and descend well, then you're in a good spot after that. It's like a pretty chill ride after that. Okay. It's, yeah, it sort of falls flat downhill back to T2, it looks like. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty nice. pretty chill for a while there. Um, yeah. Jackson, just yeah. in case this happens, I did send the PTO an email and I said, hey, guys, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but Rudy Von Berg and Jackson Laundry have been going toe-to-toe for a long time now. You need to start pumping their rivalry up a bit. Yeah, the problem is I haven't beaten enough times for close. The last time we raced, I was very close, but I didn't get them. I know. That's why I was like, we got to pump this up too. I don't want to hear anything else about all these other yahoos. I want to hear this. <laughs> you can just get them fired up and then say something, and then the P2 will put it on their Instagram. Yeah, well, you're you're breaking up a lot, but but anyways, Roberto, <laughs> thank you so much for coming see. on, and um, you know we'll we'll see you for sure at a bunch of races. It looks like you're going to be heading more to Europe, like I did early in my career. You're getting over there yeah. probably with Mister Colin Chartier, which sounds like a very nice men's cologne. So he smells good. I gotta say, I mean, <laughs> not in a weird way. I mean, wait, he just smells good all the time. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, yeah, he's actually racing uh, Ironman South Africa this upcoming weekend. First Ironman for him. Oh, ever. good for him. We'll we'll definitely check yeah. that out. Yeah, yeah, I think he should do well. He's been coached by uh, Mikel Eden, Norwegian dude. So I'm I'm uh, trying to leech some info from him about what the Norwegians <laughs> are doing. <laughs> I'm gonna but, um, I'm gonna get some uh, Alaskan coaches. I'm gonna find like something equally cool and mysterious, like or maybe like yeah. I don't, I don't know. can't say a couple countries I normally would say right now. It's too testy. It's too testy. <laughs> Way too testy. <laughs> yeah. yeah well, well, thank you guys for having me on. I appreciate it. And I, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll be learning more sort of self-experimenting. So if my racing goes well over the next five months, maybe have me back on and I'll have a bit more, more to share on yeah, what man. works and what doesn't. I can't wait to say that. Go win a couple races and then we'll have you back on. Okay, the pressure's on. I will win to be back on the podcast. <laughs> grow, a, grow a beard. Man, I've been trying for about 26 years and it hasn't happened yet. All right, man. Well, thanks again. We'll, uh, we'll yeah. see you real soon. Thank you, guys. Have a good one. Yeah, thank you. All right. Wow, what an episode with Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> It's just funny because we just recorded the intro like three seconds ago. So <laughs> anyway, the order of events is a bit off for us, but it was a great episode. You I nailed it a lot. And uh, takeaways. Yeah. I mean, I'm probably going to, I've been thinking similar to Garrick, like I got to get into this, you know, it's just a matter of time. Um, I'm not sure that I'll use it to the extent that Robbie does. Um, probably more than what I would want to be doing with it, but I definitely interested to know what's the LT one looking like, what's LT two, where can I improve the most? And, you know, where are my zones relative to that um, compared to what I think they are. So that'll be really cool to see. Um, What did you guys learn? Are you going to start picking your fingers every 14 seconds, Nick? I already bought (laughs) about three monitors that are in route over the next six months because I'll be using them every minute when I wake up, brush my teeth, when I'm eating cereal. When I'm going up and down snow canyons. He's going to be sitting in his little oxygen bubble there, pricking himself. Like, uh, how's this? Why is it got to be working? Because <laughs> you, you, all day you're in that little oxygen bubble. Yeah, I am. But anyways, Garrick, thanks for noticing. Uh, it's, uh, it's the science is everything that we've heard for years, but it's like, obviously the success we've seen throughout the people, the athletes who are using it and the, coaches who are employing it you, you can't turn a, a cheek to it you've got to get into it so jackson's right we're all going to be talking lt numbers rather than watts per kilogram or something pretty soon yeah i think this is i mean it's not new science um on like what it is and it's a it's general principles we've always been following like we we kind of discussed that on the podcast and like earlier and it was well, these guys, did they guess it right? Or did they just have something else like guiding them and they were just kind of in the right ballpark and like Maffetone, 80-20, all that stuff. Really what it is, is training you in that LT1 and, and growing that LT1. They just did it differently and less scientific. So now we just kind of know when we're hitting it. And, and, and isn't it that. funny that this whole time, the whole thing we all needed to do was just train less intense. And we'd probably be faster and we've 
just don't care. Our egos are getting in the way. People heard one thing, saw one thing. There's watts per kilogram everywhere on Zwift and trying to out red number each other up a hill. Like I just, <laughs> all this ego. Well, here's the other thing. This actually is even simpler than normal training zones because it's, it's basically like train under LT1 most of the time then do some stuff a little under LT2 and that's, and then very rarely above LT2. So there's basically three numbers, you, almost only two numbers you need to really know. Um, so it's actually less, there's even less training zones. So in a sense, it's almost easier. Like as long as you're under that LT1, you're not overdoing it on your easy stuff. Um, so I don't know. I, I find it interesting that it's even simplifying it further down yet still it needs to be tested all the time to make sure people don't go above what they should. Um, but yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see when we test, maybe we'll all test it ourselves and then we'll come back and we'll be like, wait, I didn't realize my LT one's only 43 Watts. I better start doing more LT one. Um, but who knows? I think, I think we should all predict what's going to happen and see how close it is. Because my other thought in my head is that I still just something about it doesn't seem that important to know exactly because I still think most people are going to know when they're under that LT one or not. And when they're over that LT two or not, but that's yeah. just, kind of it's been working for a lot of people for years without all the, the precision. So I think that maybe just the general rule of thumbs just going to have to be back to, I mean, these comes in like, just like fashion, all these things come and go in phases. So just going to get back to, well, let's just go back to 80, 20. That's the general thing. 80% of the time, LT one, maybe a little bit LT two, LT three and a half. 20% of the time <laughs> that's it yeah well Simple. anyways yeah i think it's you know really good information garrick are you going to be pricking yourself every 12 seconds or once a week probably closer to once a week to be honest especially if every strip is a dollar but yeah yeah robbie must be spending a fortune on strips. yeah let's get into the financials of this <laughs> next episode <laughs> yeah <laughs> So, yeah, I have a full spreadsheet on how much it costs for every training session. I'll be like, James, I need very long reps and not very many of them in my training, please. (laughs) Uh, All right. So we're probably going to inevitably be getting a sensor here and then I'll, we'll be doing it and then we can talk, we can talk about the numbers and see what's different and do our own science experiment and give gear away if people can guess our LT1. Yeah. Well, Robbie's is 210, so I don't know what mine would be, like 350? <laughs> <laughs> well, that would put mine at like 480. <laughs> yeah, no, but it makes sense when he said his LT1 isn't that easy. Like 210, and he's a pretty small guy. Like he's probably pushing less power than me. So if I was doing like, let's say 230, like that's not super easy. I don't want to be sitting at that power all day long. Like, yeah, it does suck. Drains you. Yeah. Yep. And all right, well, we, we should wrap this up because we don't want to all... drain you anymore. So we're going to just get the heck out of H. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was it. Until yep. next time, we will be, I'll be at Oceanside and we will do a recap episode. And uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, dude. Go crush that. We'll be Good cheering luck. you on. Thanks, boys. Ready for it? And frig off. <laughs> Whoa. Peace. Did we change it? Peace. Peace. Out.
Dancing on a couch like I'm Tommy Cruise on a one-man mission trying to see it through.